What did we read in our text today? We've all been to a place like this before. Your classic giant red doors, your old musty smell, the stained glass windows that bring about the reverent feel, the leather-bound books filled with songs from the era when Beethoven was a rock star, the old Elizabethan and Victoria molding on your chairs. You've got your wooden pew decor. Great for the whole archaic feeling, but terrible for sleeping. I would know. I've tried many a time. Odds are, you have too. By all appearances, I'd say this place is a church. Yep, definitely a church. But then again, what is the church? Is it just a building that we go to with pews and stained glass, where we hope to encounter something divine or supernatural? Or is it something more? The Bible describes the church as a body of believers who is founded on the principle that Jesus Christ is the son of a living God who conquered death so that we could reconnect with our Creator. And this church is supposed to pursue the love of our Savior, our God, so passionately, like a bride to her bridegroom. And in this pursuit, we find fellowship and community with those who are called and bear His name. Now this is the church. Are you part of this church? Or are you comfortable in your pew? As we look at our text, it says, who saved us? Jesus saved us, but he don't, didn't only save us, he called us. How come we divorced the two? We're wondering about people being saved. Actually, do you know that most of the people that I talk to, even though they've been in the church, some of them for 40, 50 years, they couldn't tell me what their calling is if I asked them. So isn't it fair to say, hey, you know, and, and when I speak this in churches, then I see people who have been Christians for a long time have this blank stare in their face of like, whoa, I'm one of those people. I can tell they're one of those people by their reaction. And when I say this, then they start smiling because, oh, the pastor got me. I'm one of those persons that, you know, I'm saved, but I have no clue about my calling. Do you hear what I'm saying? Does it resonate? Yeah, and, you know, some of those people have gone to church a long time. But he says, he saved us and called us. Is it right for us to divorce the two aspects? Is it within our power? Is it within us to do that? It's the same way with the subject today of what that video was. We have come to a day and age where we have 
to surrender the churchernese. I call it churchernese. Do you know that churchernese can be an obstacle to Jesus Christ? Churchernese. Many people do churchernese. Even this video, as good as it's trying to do, there has a major flaw. Have you guys picked on the major flaw in this video? What is the... What's wrong with that statement? Who is the church? Not what. Right? This is the lingo of what is the church. But the issue is who is the church? The, the, the lesson for us, who is the church? It says in the church met in so-and-so house. Well, there was no building. There were no pews. There were no hymnals. They, weren't, they didn't even have Bibles. They had memorized some things. They had the oratory. They had part of the Old Testament in their head. They continued to go to the temple. So how did the church begin? Someone asks you who is the church. We can give a Sunday school answer which they gave. Is the body of believers. Now the church can be in two areas. The Catholic church. Not the Catholic with a big C. With a capital C. The Catholic with a small C. Meaning the universal church. Compromised of all believers who are born of the Spirit of God. That's the Catholic or universal church. But then you have the local churches. And you will see when Paul writes a letter, he says, unto the churches in Galatia. Because there's more than one. So there are also local churches. Local bodies. But they're all part of one body. On the one Lord. So there's two aspects of the church. And we move so far as to be ignorant that the word for church in Greek is, everyone knows it as, ecclesia. Ecclesia is the word for church. Now, funny thing, you say, well, why do you speak about church and calling at the same time? There must be a connection. And I know it's hard for us. And you say, well, pastor, that's why maybe we're ignorant. Because we don't speak Greek. Because if we did, we would know. Because ek is a preposition. And it's a compound word. And then he uses the word koleo, which is to call. So ecclesia, literally, we should be translating not as church or as an assembly. That's the aftermath of what it really says. Those who have been called out. Now guess how big our Bible would be. If we didn't find a good translation. And we would translate one word with one sentence. <coughs> each time we came across. Right? So we said well the aftermath effect of that would be an assembly. But church is this. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, what it says? Do not forsake the 
the gathering or the assembly of the believers. How does that come? Do not forsake. Any of you has chickens? Nobody has chickens here? Oh, man. When you have chickens and you go out, you just have to bang the pail where they know the food is coming. They'll start running towards you. Or if you, you just need to train them. If you have dogs, you just need to whistle in a certain way and you know they're, you're feed, they're feeding them. They start gathering. Church is because you have heard the Lord call and you responded and you came here. The called ones who gathered. So, you know, I can treat you as church and people who attend church or do church. Or my expectation of you as a church is that the reason why you're here is because God called you and you showed up. You tell me, how do you want me to treat you? As those who are just getting used to doing church and they show up to church. Or those who have heard God, have heard his calling and therefore came here and they are gathered here. interesting I wonder if Apostle Paul walked into our churches what he would think today Ed thinks he would be very happy I'm not sure so Ed I'm not, I'm not too sure that he would be that happy over the centuries how we've each added well the Catholics did this, so they did a lot, and others did this, and the Baptists did this, and the Pentecostal did this, and then came the Charismatics, and then you have the Lutherans. What should we do with, you know, movements and stuff? And everyone has done church and knees pretty good. Pretty good. Have you noticed that when it comes to expressing ourselves, we don't need that much help? But there's a difference when you come because you have heard and you're responding that calling. In the New Testament, the way the church came about was go and pray and wait for the Holy Spirit. So the people gathered, they're afraid for their lives. They don't know what to do. They're praying and they're worshiping God. That's all they do. They gather together to pray and to worship the Lord. They're singing and they're praying and they're waiting. And that love overwhelmed them. That love overwhelmed them and that love drew them. So when they began to meet, whether it was in homes, whether it was in catacombs, whether it was in places where they could be saved, what was at the heart of why they met? You see, they partook the Lord's table. And they partook it before the pastors and the apostles were there too. Because that was greater than the pastor and the apostles. They came together because of their dependence on whom? Jesus. It was this love that drew them. They had fellowship. 
people came, they sold their property, and they put the money at the apostles' feet. I wonder if the apostles were stealing the money. And they didn't even ask the apostles what they were doing with the money. Even more so, if they lied when they brought their gifts, what happened to a couple of them? They died, right? Mm. What, what, a, what a pure holy place. What a beauty of those who have been called that it, it, it basically eliminated all the boundaries of their fleshy life. What a place to be in. Do you know what the world started calling that first church? They gather because they have orgies there. Look, they're all, there's 30 people in that one little house. And they're there and the whole night. Because they're singing and praising God and speaking about his love. And they didn't need a bed. They slept on the floor. And there was no one who was in need. Really? If we don't have heating in the room, people don't come to church. If we don't have comfortable seats, we'll find a church that does. What about the children's ministry? What about the men's ministry? What about the women's ministry? What about the youth group? Church and ease. I don't recall ever hearing that they had youth pastors either. Did they? No. I wonder what would happen if Peter would walk into our church. I wonder what the Lord says about us. What does the Lord say of his second coming? I wonder if I find Faith when I return. How can he say that when our churches are growing? We have mega churches now. Hmm. It's kind of a little bit of a disconnect, isn't there? Now, Old Testament, where does the church, since we've done the reading, hint, hint, where does the church start in the Old Testament? I'll give you a hint. The house of God is the second most used name of a Hebrew city after Jerusalem. El is God. What is the house of Beth? Bethel. What happened to Bethel? Encounter God. Spoke with God. And then made a commitment. Same for you and I today. Church. Is it a place where you encounter God? Is it a place where you do what? You meet, connect with God. Why are you called here? First and foremost, to connect with God. Why are you called here? To converse, to speak, to he discern his voice, to hear his voice. Notice that that's very strange. That makes God the center of church. 
But what about what we do to put it there, the front of center of the church? We have our own take. We can do things. This is truly the house of God. Now speaking about people who come to church. During January, February, people seeking for church, they, you know, they come to church, they, 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 they try to make commitments, and then they kind of fade away. Do you guys know why? Because there's no commitment. If you will bless me, then I will give you tenth. If you will bless me, then I will give you a tenth of what I make. Oh, man, the pastor somehow had to speak about tithing in church. It's the most quiet time when the pastor speaks about money in church. Do you know that the church goes dead quiet? But it has nothing to do with the money. If you begin to invest, the Lord says, your treasure is, where is your? Your heart. Begin investing. Begin investing. So it's the presence of God you come to encounter, to connect. It is the voice of God you come to, to converse and hear the voice of God. And as a response, you enter into investing. Hmm. I knew you guys knew about church, that this is church. Right? So this was a little background into church for you guys. Now it kind of makes sense where he says he didn't just save us, but he called us. And we want to wonder why he called us. Now, there are a few, this is a smaller number, who have what I would call a specific appointed calling. And that is such a strong calling from the Lord. And he makes no mistakes because he tells us, and he, who is he in Ephesians here? Jesus. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the church. Church, 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 church. Body of Christ. Church, church. Who gave them? Deacons. So should the church vote on a pastor? You can vote, but that's not a vote. That's only to confirm what? The calling. Don't think on your life that you can vote on your pastor. That's a sin. You cannot replace God. You cannot replace God. You can only vote once to confirm. That's a confirmation. Right? So we see here Jesus is the one. You're in trouble if you think you're going to bring here a pastor out of your own due diligence. But what does he tell us? That in the last days people will accumulate for themselves teachers who do what? Tickle the ears? You know, it's a funny thing. I tickle my ears. I don't like it. I don't like to be tickled, uh, you know, around the ears. Uh, 
But I guess we get to that point where we like that stuff. We like people to tickle our ears. But it's a different kind of tickling. What does it really mean there? Tell you what you want to hear? And when you tell you what you want to hear, what now becomes the center of church? You. So you're no longer God-centric. You have become a human-centric church. But how can that be? Because we just said the universal church is those who have died to self and they're born of the Spirit of God. And now we come back to say the church are those who are centered on, centered on self. Wow. I guess there's a progression that doesn't look too great. And Paul already knew it right from the beginning. And he's telling his this pastor, Timothy, this is what's going to happen. And when he speaks about this, he's speaking about the context of the church, not the world. But the world is that way, speaking about the church. So if there's a specific calling, and I got to tell you, it's not a pleasant one. I almost went crazy when I received it. I'm a mathematician. I'm an introvert. I went to church late not to talk to people. I left church early not to talk to people. I had to recite a poem because of school. I got so intimidated, I peed on myself and passed out. How can God tell me to be a pastor? I can't speak well. I felt worse than Moses. Me, I'm not a man of words. So at least I see, oh, there was one other guy, Moses too. I can, I, I'm even worse than that. I passed out. And I had that poem memorized. I used to... Tell it to my family left and right. How can I be a pastor? It's an impossibility. And I'm very good at math. I don't even have to study that much to be good at math. So, and you know, you can make more money too with math. So, Speaking about tithing, you can make more money with math. <laughs> so I'm about to go to college, and this financial firm out of, uh, out of uh, Newport comes and says, oh, here's a director position starting salary, $150,000, company BMW at $135,000, 7 Series, you drive. Your... Now, how many people fresh out of college get that kind of a position? But the enemy will throw everything at you not to answer to the calling. Everything at you. Now this is a specific calling. Let's get back to why you're here. Okay, this is a specific. I'm putting there Paul, but I don't, I, we don't have time to go through that. This is you and I. There's something that we call a, that I call a common calling. What is a common calling? For everyone who has heard the Lord. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourself, the living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood. What was God trying to do with Israel? What did God tell them on the mountain? You haven't read it yet. It will come in Exodus. What was God's plan for Israel? To all of them, not just the Levites, to be trained eventually to be priests over the entire earth. Is it by mistake that Jesus is God? We just saying God doesn't change. Is it by mistake that you're called to be a priest? No. And guess what? My primary job or calling for the church is the ministry of the word, prayer, equipping you to be better priests and trying to present you holy and blameless before the Lord. Do you think that's the view of the churches that I interview with? Do you think that that's what they're looking for? Most of the time, they're not. They're, most of the churches today, 7 out of 10, were thinking, we need a pastor who's a savior who will come here and do all the work and the evangelism so we can grow and be better. That's 7 out of 10 churches in the United States right now. How do you reconcile that if that's a reality in the church with my personal calling? Because tell you what, I'll stand before the throne of God one day and I'm responsible to my specific calling before him. Not, bef not because of what you think or what you think the need is here. Do you see how church needs and things like this and ignoring the fact that you don't understand your calling can begin to divide the people who God has in his office with the rest of the flock. And you will greatly see that with Moses. Do you think that Moses in his office, people were like that with him during the journey? You will greatly see that. So he couldn't do it alone. He was so overwhelmed. He said, Lord, I need helpers. So guess who shows up on the scene? The elders. And the Lord takes some of his anointing and puts them on them. We have a lot of elders here by hair color. But not by biblical design. Do you think we should offer, we should pray that the Lord will rectify that reality? Absolutely. But anyway, there's a common calling. You are a royal priest. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So you say, Pastor, you're bothering me with this calling. Look what he's doing to the church. I'm not bothering you. Paul was doing the same thing to the church. I urge you to walk in a matter worthy of your calling. So am I today to you. With which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing one another in love. Ah, so this is the problem. Salvation is the easy road. What he tells me, it's this calling that will cause troubles for pastors. It says with all humility, gentleness, with patience, things you don't naturally like. You prefer things to move along smoother and faster. 
but uh, this is going to be a problem. Bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Jerry tells me when he was here as a young man, churches got together with the youth, revivals, kids were coming to the Lord. Now I can't get pastors together to pray with one another much. What's happened? Where's the one body, one spirit? Where's that reality? Hmm. We are called to worship. That's what we are called to. That's our main calling. Why is that our main calling? It will not stop. When you get to heaven, will you stop worshiping God? No. Everything else comes out of this common call. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall worship Him and serve Him only. It hasn't changed even for Christians. The centrality of nothing but Christ, but God. Worship is our main calling. And we're, I'm giving you passages because of the sake of time. I'm not going to read them. You can jot them down. We're called to praise Him, exalt Him, to bow down. This is my expectation of people who come in the church because they're already privately doing that. They don't come to church to do that once a week. To serve. If you want to worship the Lord, you say, I need to serve somehow. He's making, the pot is making us into vessels. It's not for us to put the vessels on the podium here and just look at them and say, oh, look how beautiful they are. It's to be used. We're called to give. I don't know what happened with that diagram. I have a big diagram. I can't find it. Is it in the slides there? Okay, can you bring that up right now? Just so we can, for the sake of time, move forward. Is it up there? Okay, because I can't see it. Sorry. So basically, you have been called. What is the common calling of everyone? Because we need to hear the Lord. What is the common call that should be, and I preached it to you, the echo in your heart? Follow me. Follow me. If you are not a follower of Jesus, you're not a Christian. You haven't heard him and you haven't received your calling. But all of the Christians have a common calling of following Jesus. You can't be a Christian. I got into one church one time. And I went with the board of elders. And one of the elders says, can't you be a Christian and not be a disciple of Jesus? And I almost fell off my chair. Does someone even speak such a thing? This is an ordained elder. 
Can you be a Christian and not be a follower of Jesus Christ? No, you can't. And now, those sweet words of Jesus are the highest priority in your life. And they guide you. It gives you direction. It brings you into this state. So, we're called to love God. We're called to, to give, to love one another, to follow Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to share the gospel, to pray, to worship, towards obedience, to fellowship, to bless, to endure, to serve, to be his disciples, to be holy, to submit, to gather together. Do not forsake us, Samuel of believers. So, I'm going to repeat my question to you again. When I come to church, should I expect your own personal response, your church needs, or should I look at you that you are here because you've encountered God, you've heard God, and you're looking to be trained and equipped into walking in your calling and doing those things? This is where the rubber meets the road. Until this, this happens in a church, the church is still on the shelf. If this, this is not the reality, that I can't really function in my calling very well. Because, you know, if the people are not taken off the shelf and being used, I cannot equip them into their work of how they're being used. And help them. Church is simply not an absorption of information. Do you know what the church fathers of the Protestant movement said is the biggest sin of the Protestant church? That we have turned people in being very good attenders and pew seat warmers. Those are from the very fathers who revolted against the Catholic Church. So this is where we are. And my question to you is, hey, how would you like me to treat you? And there's a level of our own selfishness, our own ignorance, our own good intentions they block this reality from our life. I want to tell you so you don't get confused, so you don't get blinded by church and knees. Oh, so you don't get blinded by church and knees thinking that you are in a good place. I urge you, urge is a very strong word about your calling. Now, for some of you who have been in the church many times, you know, I don't know, you know, looking at gray hair, people that lived along, you know, go ask them. But don't hold them responsibly if they don't, don't have that great of an answer because we've made our own church needs be at fault for the condition where they're at. So we have to de-churchanize ourselves. That's what that, that guy made the video. That's what he was trying to do. Let's watch another video. Play, play this video and then we'll move into a time of... Prayer.
I almost say I want to wish that the Lord would take away this building from us. I want to wish that he would take away some of our rights. Do you know why? Because the healthiest church I've ever noticed was in the persecuted countries. Man, when you walk into those churches, it's special. And you'll notice that I should have known that from scriptures because when you look at the churches in the book of Revelation, which is the church that the Lord doesn't find anything wrong with? The one that he says, resist up to? Unto death, right? It's a persecuted church. I remember people come with machine guns in the church, threatening you to denounce Jesus. People being bitten, imprisoned, tortured, with blood on their face and their clothes. And they stepped into the church and they dropped to their knees and they praised God. And here I am a little kid, I'm thinking, something's wrong with that person because he's in pain. Why is he so joyful? He's bleeding. I can see the blood. Look, Dad, there's blood right there. Look. And the other guy has a black eye. Someone just popped him in the eye. So this sermon is like counseling to me into the state of our churches today. Are we ready? On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, whenever you eat of this bread, do it in remembrance of me. For this is my body, which has been broken. For whom? For you. Every Sunday of the month, it's special for us. Some churches find us so special, they say we can't come to church without doing it every Sunday. So if you had a wrong view of people who do it every Sunday, don't judge them. And some people say, oh, we only do it once a year because they hold fight so much. There's grace from the Lord to do it. But is the love of God 
not not the valentine the love of god the broken body and the shed blood something they called you to church today they drew you to meet today with all of us with broken people around you look at them around you they need hope they need to be loved they need fellowship they need community but Jesus brought us together because he loved us because he 